Welcome everybody to the next episode of the Cannabis Review. I'm delighted to be joined on this episode by Senior Policy Analyst Steve Rhodes. Steve is a Senior Drug Policy Analyst at Transform Drug Policy Foundation in the UK. He's also an author of After the War on Drugs, A Blueprint for Regulation, has contributed to a number of publications on the subject. So I'm absolutely delighted to be able to talk to you today, Steve. How are you keeping? Pretty good, thank you. Excellent. Delighted to have you on. I think we're going to be able to bestow a lot of information on the viewers that they may not necessarily come across. Can you maybe give everybody a quick little overview of how you ended up as a senior policy analyst and why uh, the misuse of drugs was uh, so uh, important a topic for you to write about? Well, I actually kind of stumbled into into drug policy um, about 20 years ago. I, I was actually working for Oxfam and that would have been my kind of academic background and policy background had been more in development work, but drug policy always struck me as um, this, this strange area of, of, of social policy and um, policy thinking that seemed oddly divorced from a lot of the norms of, uh, of, of, of policy making and sort of pragmatic public health and social justice concepts, which seemed to be sort of infusing a lot of other policy, but, but, but with drugs, not even all drugs, just certain drugs, um, they seem to exist in this odd kind of uh, evidence-free ideological space. And the results of it, uh, of that approach, have been disastrous and they're there for everybody to see. And looking at something like the Misuse of Drugs Act in 1971 in the UK, which was obviously 50 years old, it was its 50th anniversary last year, so half a century in, um, on almost any indicator that you would choose, it's been a you know, manifestly been a total disaster. This was a policy that was very specifically supposed to eradicate drug markets and deter drug use. But drug use has risen pretty much every one of those 50 years overall. Um, and drug markets have expanded. Illegal drug markets controlled by unregulated criminal entrepreneurs have expanded to meet that growing demand. Um, despite increasing amounts of money being put into increasingly punitive enforcement efforts. Um, so it hasn't done what it was supposed to do, uh, but it's had this whole raft of disastrous consequences in terms of criminalizing hundreds of thousands, even millions of people. One of the calculations we did was that uh, we looked at all the evidence, more than 3 million uh, criminal records have been issued under this act since it was enacted. Um, so it's, not, it's, it, it's a non-trivial piece of legislation. The people say, they talk about the war we never fought and when are we going to start really fighting the war on drugs? Well, three million criminal records um, speaks to that, I think. Um, you know, almost a million years of uh, prison time has been given out under this under this act. So it's, it, it's, it's profoundly punitive and profoundly harmful, but it does not seem to have been delivering any useful benefits at all. And it, it's also hugely expensive. We spend, you know, upwards of seven billion in the UK um, a year. Uh, enforcing uh, the, the Misuse of Drugs Act and dealing with its its fallout and consequences. So it felt like a good moment to have a have a you know a, a moment of reflection on the 50th anniversary um, to look back at the failings of, of the Misuse of Drugs Act and the war on drugs more broadly, um, and think about how we might move forward in a more pragmatic and evidence based, reasonable way based on public health principles and social justice principles and human rights principles, kind of things we can all get behind, but that don't seem to have been uh, associated with drug policy 
historically. So that's a lot of the work that Transform has been doing. Um, and yeah, I mean, my journey with Transformers started very much kind of at the activist sort of uh, almost like street protest type stuff 20 years ago. But as the uh, reform uh, movement has moved from the margins into the mainstream, uh, we've become a lot more focused on detailed policy work. So for, for cannabis, we've produced this book called How to Regulate Cannabis, a Practical Guide. I'm not trying to sell this. You can go and read it online, a PDF for free on the Transform website. It's been translated into multiple languages. Um, it's informed policymaking in Uruguay and Canada and Mexico and a number of European countries, Luxembourg and Malta, where we've also been working with governments. So we're no longer just doing advocacy and berating uh, governments for how, for how awful their cannabis policy is. When they do make the decision to, to, to move, we are actually working with, uh, governments now as consultants helping to design the detail of the policy which has been very much a focus of Transform's work and, and the Misuse of Drugs Act is it's almost totemic of the failings uh, of, of drug policy and cannabis policy given just the appalling outcomes despite 50 years of, of just doing the same thing and you know not getting anywhere so that's kind of where we're up to um, at the moment. Amazing. Well, the first topic I wanted to talk about was the Misuse of Drugs Act. Now, over in Ireland, it's the 1977 Act, but in the UK, it's the 1971 Act. Well, we all know that the Irish copied the exact pretty much template that the UK had developed. From a very starting point, you've already mentioned that it's more ideological and research-free that this was uh, created around. Is there an element that's a little bit like America with Ainslayer, where there was businessmen that had specific interests in, in industries? Or is this basically just they were too stupid for their own good at the time and didn't foresee what may be coming around the corner? Was a little bit of... Uh, influence from from uh, capitalism side of things, or was it basically just the misinformed politicians who uh, who, who drew up this legislation? Um, I don't think it was it was uh, shaped by industry particularly at the time. I mean, they may have had some influence. It was more shaped by what was going on um, around the world. So you know, American policy thinking was key um, significantly. That the UN drug control treaties. Um, that were sort of uh, the, the, the main one being the 1961 uh, Single Convention on Drugs um, significantly informed the design of our Misuse of Drugs Act. Our Misuse of Drugs Act was essentially a domestic response to the UN Conventions on Drugs, and they were very much shaped by American narratives and driven by by US political pressure. So all those all those. Um, disconcerting and uncomfortable things that happen in the US around the kind of thinking on punitive drug policy, issues around race and issues around kind of corruption and, and, and some of those unpleasant political pressures that shape US drug policy, then fed into UN drug policy and then fed out into countries around the world. Um, and, in, and because of the UK's position for whatever reason, um, like you say, the Misuse of Drugs Act informed what's happened in Ireland. Similarly, it's, it, a, a lot of drug policy um, in, a, in a number of countries has been shaped by the Misuse of Drugs Act. So like in New Zealand, their Misuse of Drugs Act is very similar to our one. And, and it, it, the same is true in, in a number of other countries. So you've seen this kind of iterative repetition of mistakes of the past. Um, and, you know, people make mistakes. Sometimes they're, they're, well, they're, they're well-intentioned but misinformed. Sometimes they're corrupt. But the problem is 
if you go on for decades and decades and the outcomes are all appalling, you know, not just failure on their own terms, but clear evidence of, of systemic harms stemming from this legislation and this whole kind of ideological policy paradigm, and then you still don't evolve and change and, and you know, try and reconsider and reflect on what's got wrong and, you know, move forward on that basis. That is really where the problem is. You know, we can we can critique the war, the, the, the misuse of drugs at 1971, and it, it, certainly it deserves a critique. But just as bad, it really is the politicians who failed to do that for generations now, more than half a century. It's clearly been a failure. Looking at rising drug use, looking at rising drug deaths, looking at the toll of criminalisation and the cost that we, the, the amount of money we've hosted, it doesn't work. But yet here we are. We're still stuck with it. 50 years later, despite that horrible failings. And I think that is the, the, the most, you know, the most shocking part of, the, of this generally um, disastrous piece of public policymaking, this awful story. Okay. So tell me this, the next topic is, if we're going for a blueprint for regulation, if, if we have politicians watching this now, what are the top three steps that a, a government can use for its steps towards a regulated market? Well, I think the first thing they need to do is to acknowledge that the current policy isn't working and that we need to have a rethink. And that needs to be more than just tweaking the failings of prohibition. It really needs to be uh, a more fundamental rethink, acknowledging that prohibition per se is not an effective policy paradigm, dealing with the reality of drug use, dealing with the reality of cannabis use and saying, look, this market is going to be here whether we like it or not, whether we approve or, or, or morally, morally condone uh, cannabis use or drug use um, and we need to deal with that reality in a pragmatic way and, and you know inevitably that leads you to say look if it's a choice between you know criminal markets or, or responsibly regulated markets within the ambit of the state we have to go towards that so I think the first thing to do is to acknowledge that this that, that this is a debate that needs to happen and then you can move on to some of the detail about what a regulatory framework would look like. What are the overarching principles? Who needs to be at the table in terms of designing the policy? And then you get into the detail, you know, how do you regulate production? How do you regulate the products themselves? How do you regulate the vendors and retailers? How do you regulate access to this market? You know, what are your channels of, uh, of accountability? Those are all questions that Transform have gone into, you know, enormous amounts of detail with in our book. Um, I think we need to be first and foremost guided by public health and issues of human rights and social justice. Um, I think we need to keep uh, financial interests and corporate interests at arm's length. We don't want to repeat the mistakes that have been made with alcohol and tobacco um, historically. And we, we need to be open-minded and say, look, we need to follow the evidence. And if things work, then we carry on with them. If they don't work, we need to have the flexibility and courage to set to acknowledge failures uh, and take a step back or to, to be able to evolve. Um, really, we just need to be thinking about cannabis policy in the same way we do pragmatically think about any other area of public health um, or, or human rights and social justice. It, unfortunately, that is not what's happened historically. We just need to do what we do with everything else and, and bring it back into the the realm of intelligent, pragmatic, principled, evidence-based policymaking, where unfortunately it has not, very much not been um, over the past five, five decades and arguably uh, even further back than that. 
incredibly well informed mate you are it's a it's a wealth of information that the viewers are going to be loving last thing before i let you go the new uk government we had a recent story on liz trust blocking bermuda's regulation attempts is she a friend or a foe to the cannabis industry now that she's in power I don't know about the cannabis industry. I mean, I, I don't have any optimism that this current government will, you know, herald a golden age of pragmatic uh, drug policy reform. Uh, Suella Bravman, the new Home Secretary, is perhaps even worse than Pretty Patel. And it was a pretty low bar because she was pretty awful. Um, it seems like they are driven by ideology or other interests, political uh, priorities rather than public health science and, 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 and basic principle. There, there seems to be a dramatic reluctance to engage with um, the debate on pragmatic drug policy reform, to sort of reject uh, any of the critique of the Misuse of Drugs Act or the whole prohibitionist paradigm. There's been some progress in terms of uh, treatment and service provision for people with drug problems. And I think we can welcome that from the drug strategy. But on the supply side, or in challenging some of the more fundamental problems of prohibition, let alone exploring uh, options for legally regulated markets, we haven't seen any movement on that at all, despite all the changes that are happening around the world. And we're now looking at four or five EU countries who are moving rapidly towards uh, legally regulated cannabis markets and transform. We are working with a number of those countries, helping to design and shape uh, that policy, but we don't get the call from this government and they don't seem interested. And nor, unfortunately, does our, does, uh, our main opposition party, even though the Liberal Democrats and Greens do have more sensible policies. So there is a debate happening and you can see public opinion shifting um, and even media and informed opinion is shifting as well. But the, the government does not seem to be shifting and it's a very, very low priority. I mean, arguably things like Brexit and uh, COVID have absorbed an awful lot of oxygen, but um, drug policy, let alone drug policy reform, seems to be much more caught in a kind of populist law and order debate than anything representing, uh, you know, pragmatic public health policy at the moment. It's regrettable, but that's where we are. I'm not expecting any change before the election. Okay, so you don't see an, a, a, a medical cannabis market in the UK growing and growing. Do you think it's going to be Europe that shows the way and uh, it, it becomes irrefutable for the government to be turned down with the revenue that can be generated through tax and jobs created in social equity programs where it can be showcased in the likes of Germany? Um, I, th I mean, certainly medical cannabis. I mean, we already have uh, one of the biggest medical cannabis industries in the world. Uh, and, and unfortunately, a lot of people in the UK don't have access to medical cannabis, and that's that's regrettable. But medical cannabis has nominally been legalised. Access to it is nominally legal, um, but not really through the NHS. So you can only get can medical cannabis in the UK on private prescriptions, unless you're very, very fortunate. Um, the medical cannabis industry is, is, is doing fine, thank you, in, in the UK. Um, the government doesn't particularly want to talk about it, but in many ways, it's a, it's a commercial success story. Um, but the medical cannabis industry is very different from the non-medical cannabis industry. And I think it's important to separate out both those industries and, more importantly, that the relevant policy questions around them, because they're, they're just not the same. You know, we have a medical heroin industry. We have a medical ketamine, amphetamine and cocaine industry. There are lots of legal drug industries that have little or no bearing on issues around recreational supply and, and prohibition for recreational use. So I think it's important when we're talking about these things to be able to separate out those two policy debates. And progress on medical cannabis in no way reflects progress, unfortunately, in the UK on 
on uh, non-medical adult use or, or movement toward legalization in that uh, area. So we have had some progress on medical cannabis, but unfortunately not at all on uh, recreational adult use cannabis in the UK. Okay, amazing. It's been, it's, the time is up already and I, I could talk to you all day with the wealth of information that you've got. It's been very much appreciated that you've joined the show. And, My pleasure. Uh, I hope we can get to come on again, again over sometime. the next six to 12 months and get an update on both our territories and see where we're at. You'd be very welcome. Thanks for giving me Thank the time. Thank you very much, Steve. Until next episode, guys. Cool. I hope that was okay.